Hi everyone, I'm Anne Helen Peterson and this is Work Appropriate. There's a genre of question that we get here at Work Appropriate that always makes me feel so much empathy. It's pretty broad, but it's from people who are good at what they do, make decent, if not spectacular money, and have been in their industry for a solid number of years. They don't loathe their jobs. They just feel incredibly, woefully stuck. Conventional advice will not unstick them. In most cases, they can't just quit or can't quit without a whole bunch of things falling into place to ease their transition. But what can they do? Just spend the rest of their working lives wallowing in this feeling of stuckness? I want to thank everyone who sends in these sorts of questions because I know how hard it is to even articulate exactly what makes your situation feel so stuck. But I also want to offer some hope some sideways sort of hope, some unconventional strategies for unstuckness. And I called one of the most curious and empathetic guys I know to help me figure out what that might look like. My name is Josh Gondelman. I am a stand-up comedian who's currently touring all over the United States and a television writer who is currently on strike. So you are our first three-peat guest. Wow. You were also our first guest. So this is appropriate, right? And, you know, usually we've always given you complex questions. Mm -hmm. Today, we're we're upping the difficulty level Mm -hmm. even more. But I also want to hear a little bit about what you've been up to since the last time we talked, which was in February. And especially the experience of being on strike because it's still happening. It's still happening. It's it's been a heavy few months, and I'm I'm very fortunate to get to be on the road doing as much stand up as I am, and I had a lot of it basically all through the summer booked already, and, yeah. and so I didn't have to like spin it into motion when the Writers Guild went on strike. I've learned a lot, and it's been a really kind of intense summer, and it, it's been really the I think the real a real challenge has been balancing like really pushing for this contract that I think everyone in the union knows needs to be better to secure like a, a, a healthy and safe future for the career of writing and the people that do it and making sure that like we're trying to look after our members and, and take care of them and during what's what's a really difficult time and making sure that we are keeping an eye towards helping take care of other people who are affected by the strike because it's not just writers that that are affected by these work stoppages and not just actors now as well. And for people who aren't familiar, you know, when you're on strike, obviously it means that you can't work, but it also means that like you go and picket a lot, yeah. right? Like picketing is a big part of striking. Yeah. So you're based in New York and I at least the pictures that I've seen on Instagram, you're you're largely picketing in New York. Mm-hmm. So what is that like? On one hand, it's like really encouraging to see all the people in the street marching and chanting and like there was a time earlier in the strike when there was more production happening where we would be in maybe smaller numbers at production locations and in hopes that crew members union crew members would respect the picket line and which came a great sacrifice to themselves and often they did and that's what shut down so much production and kind of slowed everything to a crawl even in advance of 
SAG walking off and and stopping everything else. But like, it's really been amazing to see not just our members and SAG after members who have been out in solidarity from the beginning, like before they were even on strike when it was just one union striking. And then people from crews and people from the Starbucks union and the Amazon union and just people from the public who are sympathetic, a lot of students. It's been really amazing to see the like forceful solidarity of people from within our union and without our union. But it is a lot of like walking in circles in the (laughs) summer heat and a lot of, it, it depends on what the vibe of each individual location is, but a lot of like chanting, which is yeah. walking for three hours, which is, a, I think, about probably six miles at the pace that the circles move. And chanting forcefully does really take more out of you than, <laughs> or, or took more out, I, I don't want to put this on anyone else, takes more out of me than I expected to. It's humiliating how tired I am after a three-hour <laughs> picket shift to the point where you, like, see what Beyonce does in concert for three hours, like, singing and dancing and uh, just, like, tight choreography and, like, belting the songs out. And you're like, oh, wow, I guess that's just <laughs> another reason Beyonce is better than me. <laughs> You know, we talk a lot on the show about how to make work more sustainable, more survivable, but like sustainable, like in a long term. And I've heard striking and like labor negotiations and forming a union, like all of this described as you are trying to make the industry sustainable for generations to come. That's right. And I think the way it has sustained for so long was because of the work that the union members did before, you know, like all the yep. things that we're fighting to shore up and preserve or enhance under kind of the new business models that a lot of these big companies are using were things that were struck for 60, 80 years ago. You know, yep. in uh, 1960 was the last time both SAG AFTRA and the Writers Guild were on strike at the same time. And that's what got residuals for reuse of theatrical films on television when they started playing movies on television because before that they didn't have to pay the people who made those things to do that they just owned them and they were like yeah we can do whatever we want so i think being part of a labor union and this kind of collective bargaining and collective action is what helps workers get as close to a fair deal as possible and get compensated as close to fairly as possible for the work that they do um that we do it is so heartening and inspiring because it really is like taking care of each other and and doing together what we couldn't do ourselves on our own. So I'm going to have to finesse this transition because I do not think that being on strike is being stuck. No, I understand (laughs) the theme, which is the theme of our episode. So I like just to transition slightly. Is there a time that is not now in your career where you have felt stuck? Totally. I, I mean, I've had a couple, but I think the biggest one that's like the easiest to communicate is I was living in Boston and I was working as a preschool teacher, which I loved, and I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy, and I kind of felt like where I was in both careers, I wasn't able, I, there, I didn't see a ready evident path forward, right? Like in preschool teaching, it's not like you teach and then you become like a master teacher. Like, you know, there are ways up and you can make a little more money with with longevity. A little more money. A little more money, <laughs> right. But I truly, I like had to like sit myself down and go like, all right, how am I going to ever think about retiring or 
owning a home or even not having several roommates. And I thought I'd either have to kind of make a shift in this career or marry rich, which, um, was not an option at, at, at the time. And (laughs) still is not, um, I am married. I did not marry for money. Um, but the just intelligence and wit. Yeah, no, I, I love my wife for who she is and not because I'm a kept man at this point. So it actually, what ended up happening was I, I moved to New York and kind of took a step back from teaching and I was tutoring in Boston. I moved my tutoring gig to their, this company's office in New York. They're very gracious about that. And, and I like tried to make it in the comparatively well compensated and stable field of television and film writing. So that kind of does tie into to where we are now, right? Because it did feel yeah. I, I felt like I can make no money teaching preschool outside Boston, or I could make no money trying to make it an entertainment in New York. And then worst case scenario, if that really doesn't work out, I can go back to Boston where it's slightly cheaper and make slightly more no money going back to teaching full time. (laughs) How did you get yourself like that feeling of like, you know, we could think of it as pivoting. Yeah, we've done episodes on that and that sort of thing. But like, I think sometimes people are like, ah, I'm kind of screwed no matter what I do here. And it doesn't look like there's a clear avenue forward. Okay. How did you clarify that? So that I definitely had that feeling. And I think like the, the way that I made decided to make a change and, and felt like I could take a step forward was going like, well, if I'm screwed either way, I might as well try the new screwed that's like exciting to me and could pay off in the long term, right? Yeah. Like if now is and and truly not I don't want to say anything bad about my teaching job, the kids who I really, you know, was so grateful to get to work with my co-teachers who are amazing, but if I was like, oh, I'm going to do this job where you don't really you you refine your skills, you don't really advance in steps necessarily like I didn't I didn't want to go to towards running a school although I considered like do I go back for an advanced degree in education I go, as long right. as this is not a path where there's like a ladder upward to a different more stable highly compensated place that kind of allows me more freedom in the future I might as well do another thing that could end up like that or could give me a, a path even if it's kind of opaque now what that would be all right, so we're going to use some of your wisdom from that and just your your general wisdom sure. to tackle some of these stuck questions. The first one is from Fiona. I'm the staff attorney in a government office that is not directly connected to specifically state government or to local government. The person that I directly work for holds an elected position. And by statute, my employment is at the pleasure of this person. And if something happens, there isn't a real oversight structure and no real HR department. The lack of that structure is sometimes admittedly very nice. It does allow a lot of flexibility for time needed to take care of my kids. I have two, six and nine, and my father who lives with us and has a number of health issues. And recently I've had my own health issues. However, it's also really hard because I don't know where to go if I have a problem. And beyond that, there's no upward mobility in this role. And I feel so stuck. I have the pressure where I am a caretaker for an elderly person. I have kids and all of that. So I just feel suck it up, be stuck and live with it. But there are some days where 
I just get so burnt out, so angry, so frustrated by things that I can't control that I just want to walk out. I just want to grab my bag, leave and not come back. The fantasies of the giant mess that they will face if I just do that are actually kind of nice. But sometimes I just don't know how to manage this. And I don't even know how one even starts to look for a job after I've been doing this for so long. I think I'm, about, I'm almost at 20 years. So is there actually any advice out there? You know, the standard one is just look for a new job, get a new one. But that's not always the easiest thing to hear. It's not the easiest thing to do. And sometimes it's just not feasible. Okay, so first of all, I want to acknowledge how real the fantasy of quitting and blowing things up is. Like, <laughs> I have definitely had that and been like, oh, this is what everyone would say. Yeah. Like, this is how the news would spread and like the look of surprise on their face or whatever. Like, it's a very amazing feeling to fantasize about. It's so thrilling to think about that and to imagine the only thing better than the fantasy of it or like that that specific part of the fantasy would be the idea of getting to watch like Tom Sawyer at his own funeral when everyone thought that he was dead <laughs> and yes. and just being like, "Oh man, uh, but of course, it would like never live up to the fantasy in your mind and there would be some people that are like Oh, I thought I thought they left like two months ago. And you're like, no, it was today. And you're all, you're going to be nothing without me. <laughs> Everything's going to go to shit. Yeah. Like, like, what if this person's boss who seems like, hmm, um, what if this person's boss was like, oh, I was thinking about asking you to move on, right? Like, yeah. There's so many ways that this could go like sideways. And you're like, and it's never you literally can't me. fire me because I actually quit. <laughs> So outside of that, acknowledging that that feeling, there's a couple of things going on in this stuckness, right? So one, and I know a lot of people who feel this way, like they have a job that has flexibility. They're not crazy about the job, but the job allows them to fulfill the caregiving responsibilities that they've taken on in their family. In this case, sandwich generation, caring for elderly mm -hmm. father and caring for kids. Mm -hmm. Two, no place to move. So some people, you know, we actually, um, I just had a discussion about this on the newsletter. Like, I think American culture is obsessed with upward mobility in jobs. Like, there always has to be a place to grow. And if you decline that, somehow that's like a sign of your lack of commitment. But I can also see if this person has been there nearly 20 years, how not having any new challenges would be a struggle. Mm -hmm. And that relates to the fact like, oh, I've been doing this for so long, probably like most of her adult life, probably. Yeah. So is there any way that you see that Fiona can improve her situation without getting a new job? Yeah, it's tough because I know getting a new job is not the easiest thing to hear. It is the easiest thing to say. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> there is we are at a real impasse there. Yeah. Um, and I think this will probably come up over the course of feeling stuck. Like if she's going to stay at this job that seems to offer very little stimulation at this point, right? Like she seems mm -hmm. bored. And, and again, if you're if you're talking about no place to go to after 20 years, I don't think it's because this writer is like, oh, I want to like climb the ladder out of just kind of American ambition, it really right. feels like, oh, I would like to do something else. And so it feels like one thing that to think about is that this flexibility that the job affords you doesn't just have to be for caring for others, right? It can also mm. be for caring for yourself. And yeah. that is like as valid. And I don't mean necessarily like 
hashtag self-care spa day but i mean like yeah professional development personal rest from these things that that are feel, making you feel like you're burning the candle at both ends right like yep. if if you can take a day off to to care for family or if you can like work from home or like quote unquote wink wink work from home for a morning because mm-hmm. you have to get a child to an appointment you can do that because like you have to go to the dentist or you have right. this thing that you that you like wanted to do for your own edification, personal or professional. So that's that's my first thought. You know, someone brought up in the comments of a piece I wrote that sometimes we talk about affordances for people with caregiving responsibilities. And I always use that like I meaningfully use caregiving responsibilities to encompass like because there's so many people in your life that you be, could be caring sure. for. And someone was like, what if I don't have elder care responsibilities? I don't have any kids in my life I'm care- taking care of. I don't have like a partner that I need to care for either. What if like my caregiving responsibilities is for myself? <laughs> and that was like a really interesting turn of the screw for me to think of caregiving responsibilities as also encompassing not hashtag self-care, but like being a full person. Totally. Right? Exploring things that are interesting to you that might not have anything to do with your job. Yeah. Or maybe like there is something that's like tangential to your job that you are interested in, but you don't want it to be under your boss's purview, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't want it to be something that they then come in and like screw up and say weird things and like make you feel burnt out about, but you kind of just want to like fiddle around with it on the side. Like that's another thing you can do. I mean, like maybe you have the flexibility to like take a professional development class on company time that will like let you feel like you're moving forward in your career if that's something that you are or moving at all in your career without leaping to another job right away or being or being unemployed at all maybe or maybe it's just like yeah I'm gonna come in at noon a couple days and I'll like make sure that I'm not derelict on emails but I won't show up until noon so I can read for an hour just for like my own enjoyment and I think like (laughs) leveraging that kind of thing for your own use as long as you're not failing to do the things that you promised for your job and aren't like creating more work for colleagues that you're that don't deserve extra garbage heaped on them you know I think like yeah why wouldn't you and especially so this person's a staff attorney Mm -hmm. in some ways this job is very shitty and that she is employed at the pleasure of this person like there's no oversight structure there's no HR she doesn't seem to like this person, but also like she has enough power that I think she can kind of like test some boundaries mm-hmm. to figure out what's acceptable. And uh, this isn't the same as looking for a new job per se, but I wonder if there are lateral moves that might be interesting. Totally. So I know that looking for a new job is not top priority here, right? It's not the preference, but I do also think it feels like the way the letter was written, it does feel like there's an element of trepidation, right? That's yeah. like, what if there's nothing else for me? What if there's nothing else that meets these needs? And I do think, like you said, without throwing yourself into a full job search, the idea of going like, but what if there is, is like helpful. And I I don't think necessary. And I also think by putting yourself in this place of like, I can't know what's out there. I, I, I refuse yep. to like look into what's out there, but I also hate what's here. I think maybe if there's nothing out there, then you invest in ways to make this current situation bearable. But if you discover that there is something out there that you're interested in, it's okay to indulge and cultivate that as well as a path. 
I also, I really feel for this person who probably, you know, hasn't like looked at a resume totally for several decades, right? Like the whole idea of applying for a job probably seems really exhausting. You know, she admits that she's burnt out, like she is doing a lot. She's doing these caregiving responsibilities and holding down this full-time job. And I think like even just that act of like, okay, I work in government. I'm an attorney. I'm very good at what I do. I have a lot of experience in it. What if I look at these other right. lateral jobs and just see if it piques my interest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What What is there? What do the people that I have worked with in the past, what What have they moved on to that's stimulating to them yeah. if I know people in that situation? Like that kind of, of thing can be really nice because I think like – a career can feel and maybe this is like too niche or maybe i'm out of date with this reference but like a map in an rpg video game right yeah. where you're like in the <laughs> middle and all you see on the map is like what you can turn and see 360 degrees with your little polygon body and then yep. if you like walk 100 feet that way you're like oh there's a new castle over there that i can explore and so i definitely feel like there's so much i don't know that i don't know and yep. the only way to get there is to like explore a little bit in a way that doesn't have to be aggressive and doesn't have to be like a big time commitment, but could truly just be like emailing someone that you know moved from government into a private sector or a different wing of government and going like, what's that like? Is it something you enjoy? And then you can go, okay, this maybe is worth the effort of like spinning up a resume after two decades and like learning how to use LinkedIn and all that garbage that is like <laughs> that that makes looking for a job a job in and of itself. Yes, exactly. And I think too, you know, the other thing if this person is worried about losing some of the flexibility that they have to to perform these caregiving responsibilities, like there are ways to suss out the flexibility of a, another job. Mm-hmm. I think that you can look to see who the, that job employs. And if it's only people without caregiving responsibilities, yeah. then that's a, it's a pretty big signal that like that's not the sort of flexibility that this job allows. But if it's other people in your situation, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a sign right there. Yeah. And I also think that this is kind of a good point in time, like in a history of American labor, let's say, to make that kind of a contingency, right? A request for a negotiating point if you're looking for a new job. Because it does feel like there is, even though every week there's an article that's like, bosses cry when they don't see their employees in person. It's like, (laughs) it does feel like it is the kind of thing that's now on the table more and more to be like, I would like to be halftime hybrid or I would like to this kind of flexibility as long as I'm hitting these metrics, like which didn't, even when it was, possible five or six years ago let's say it felt more taboo the other thing i'll say is that sandwich generation moments don't last forever people grow up people pass away and if it's something that you have to grapple with in this particular job for now you know some of those strategies that we talked about in the beginning might be what you have to endure for now but it's not forever definitely Our next question is from someone who's trying to get out, but it is not going well. This is from Tina, and our producer Melody is going to read it. Everything at work is going wrong. There's a slew of issues. Coworkers treating me like I work for them. Some employees allowed to work remotely while others aren't. And a manager spread too thin and too focused on their own career goals to advocate for their team. 
The biggest issue, however, is that my role within the company is unique and solitary, and I'm not receiving any guidance, mentoring, or relevant career development. I hate that I'm not progressing, and I feel like this role has destroyed my future. Due to financial constraints, I am not really in a position to quit without having something else lined up. But I've applied to more than 100 jobs in the last two years and have had zero interviews. I'm only applying to jobs I'm qualified for, and my resume and cover letter are tailored to every job. I've considered a pivot, but my passions and other skill sets won't bring in enough to cover the necessities. I cry more days than I don't, and I've lost hope. I'm in therapy, don't worry. But I don't think I can continue like this. Should I quit anyway? Oh, Josh, if Tina were here in this Zoom call with you and I, what would you say to her? I would say, like, I am so sorry for this situation. It sounds so frustrating and so bleak, truly miserable day after day. That stinks. I really feel for you. And this this is like one of the hardest kinds of problems to reckon with because there is no flexibility to just like have that fantasy of walking out, right, for the practical financial constraints, which our last writer did not voice, right? Didn't voice like, yeah. if I just leave, then I'm in financial trouble, right? And this, this yeah. feels really acute here. So like, I do feel really bad because this is, I think, like the kind of most miserable experience of work is like having to do a thing that you hate day after day or like a situation you hate day after day because you cannot afford to be alive otherwise. Yep, absolutely. And I think sometimes one of the roles that we play on this podcast is saying to people, well, giving them the opportunity to articulate what the problem is Mm -hmm. to strangers is useful, right? totally. And then also having those strangers say, this really sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. This is a horrible, shitty situation, and we really feel for you. And I also think, though, that there's a part of what she says where she says, like, this job, kind of the dead endness, yeah. has ruined her future. Do you think that that is like the hopelessness of all of this job application talking, or is that something that can actually happen? How do you respond to that? I, that part does feel maybe like a feeling more than a fact like the Mm. the frustration of it is so real and the financial stress is so real but like I think it's pretty hard to have a job that ruins your future unless your job is like escaping from those saw traps and then you just end (laughs) up like completely physically gnarled and mentally destroyed from it right or unless your job was like working for the trump administration right or like being rudy giuliani's henchman like that that ruins your future yep but this is this is not the same i think it's just that this yeah it has not opened any doors for this person in a really frustrating ways. And maybe you feel like you're starting, like if you got out now, you would be in a similar position as when you got in possibly years ago. And that that's yep. like such a bad feeling. Yes. Oh my gosh. It, that's like when I started with journalism and I was like, look at all these fuckers who are here who just like didn't go and get a PhD and take on all that debt. And they're like 22. But also I had learned a lot, I guess, you know, like, but I had to swallow that, that feeling of anger that I had like wasted time in some way. It's really hard to feel that you've wasted time and that like people are 
ahead of you or passing you by. And I think in most cases, it's more of a feeling and a fear than it is like a hard reality for your life, right? Like you're not living their life. The the fact that other people are progressing in their careers is not, doesn't make your life worse. It just, you're, the thing that's making your life worse is like how stagnant you feel, right? And so it's really tough to get out of this situation. My only like advice that's coming to mind is also annoying. (laughs) What's that? Tell us. Which is like, (laughs) if you have the time and the bandwidth to pick up some other work to get yourself in a position that you can just walk Mm. out without another full-time job, I do feel like that would lend itself to a brighter future in the long term. Right. Basically like a stopover job. Yeah. Or even like... a side hustle thing where you're like oh if you can make enough money like if you set a metric of like if I can pay my bills for two months without having a job then maybe it's worth it for me to or without having a full-time job maybe it's worth it for me to leave this and trust that with two months to figure out what's next uh then I can like really focus and cultivate opportunities and and relationships that, that can get me into this next position it does seem like getting out of this situation is both impossible and necessary. Well, and I would point like on a practical advice level, I would point to previous episodes, one about job seeking with Laura Mariani, Mm -hmm. that one of the tips that she makes that I think might be applicable here is to actually talk with people who have left your company. Yeah. Find them on LinkedIn and see what that route looked like. I think Tina might feel like that might not be as useful to her because these people aren't necessarily in the exact same job as she was, right? Because she feels really siloed mm-hmm. and like she there's not like a team, but it could still be helpful. And then the other one that comes to mind is uh, an episode about preparing to get laid off. And Tina's not preparing to get laid off, but she is potentially preparing to be in a position of, of short-term financial precarity. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the host Phoebe said on that episode is like, what if you took a year and you really saved? Mm-hmm. That's rough. <laughs> that you're like, I hate my job. <laughs> I'm trying to apply for other jobs, and also I'm say like I'm really trying to like put together something that can float me. But that's something that I think the advice that we would give as well is like, okay, how can I create a slight cushion so that if I need to quit? that that's a possibility. The other reality that we have to acknowledge is that sometimes people quit and even if they're job searching full time, they don't find jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because you're like, I thought if I just dedicated myself to job searching, then everything would turn out okay. Yeah. And it it's, it's a lot harder. You know, I'm glad that she's in therapy because the thing that I would also want to tell her is that even though you feel stuck at your job and like it's so easy for the way that you feel at work to be the way that you feel at life. But like she is so much more than just this. Totally. And being stuck at work doesn't mean you're like a stuck person or, and again, that goes back to that feeling of I've destroyed my future. Right. And it's like, you definitely have not destroyed your future. You, you have a shitty present and that's, but like at work, right? Like maybe there is a, a richness to your life that exists outside of work that is being eclipsed by just like eight hours a day of like this shit again and (laughs) and i think that like it makes it feel like oh this is what it is 
every day and and there's no end in sight. So I think like, yeah, investing mentally, you know, that mentally I'm here meme of just like wherever you your yes. you go away to in your mind when you yeah. somewhere you do disassociate is like creating that space in reality to be like physically you're there mm-hmm. and whether it's a, a long-term thing you know like what you're what we're talking about is is not like a satisfying answer tomorrow it's like digging out of prison with a spoon behind a poster of Rita Hayworth and it like takes a long time <laughs> but it is I think just having that sense of purpose and like yep. momentum even if it's not like climbing a career ladder momentum out of something bad can be can feel as gratifying I think as up to something good yes and also Tina we're really rooting for you yeah you know, sometimes you apply for 100 jobs and you get the 101st, but it is a demoralizing and shitty process. And I think that you have skills and you're going to find another place because this is not it. This is not it. You gave her the like, a pep talk version of the Lady Gaga speech of like, <laughs> oh, there's 100 people in the room and all you need is one to hire you away from your terrible job. <laughs> All right, here's a question about getting unstuck when your entire industry is on fire. This is from Ella, and our colleague Ashley is going to read it for us. I've been feeling stuck in my job and don't know how to move on. Within the six years I've been at my company, my role has changed significantly, so much so that it feels like a role like mine doesn't exist anywhere else. I work in tech, and we've been through multiple rounds of layoffs in the past few months, which I've survived. But it makes me wonder what I'd do if I was laid off. I'm mid-career and have a broad set of skills. I'm told I'm particularly good at soft skills, but that isn't enough to apply for other jobs. How can I figure out what's next and move on? I think we hear on the show a lot of people in tech who are like, my job is miserable, the organization is a mess, but also there's layoffs everywhere. Sometimes I feel like that's the case also in Hollywood. I mean, how do you feel about when you feel like the entire industry is kind of on fire looking for a new job. Yeah. I mean, I think one thought that I keep having, because a lot of people who are involved in the strike, right? A lot of people were working at jobs when the strike started. And so they have presumably jobs to go back to with better terms when when we come back. Mm-hmm. And I have been thinking like, oh, I'm I'm so invested in this fight for a fair contract and then I have to job search. <laughs> and so that is two separate thoughts. That's nothing against, right. you know, against this collective action. But I am like, huh, that's part of it too, I guess, that I like forget about because I'm so in this moment. Right. But yeah, it does feel like when you're in an industry where there's a lot of shift going on, that it can feel like just standing in a river trying to like catch a salmon with your bare hands. <laughs> Right. You're in the frying pan and you're like looking out the corner of the frying pan and it's just like other frying pans. Right, right, right. It's not out of the frying pan into the fire. It's just like, (laughs) what's how do I know that these frying pans are better? Yeah, Yeah, totally. That's exactly right. I don't know if this is the case, but I do think when you have a changing set of responsibilities, having that codified into a job title and description that like really trumpets the stuff you do well is helpful and sometimes not always people bosses are more amenable to that kind of perk and benefit because it is free to give someone a better title for a job they're already doing so it is or or, you know a, a shifting job it's like something that you can ask for 
that they don't have to be like, I don't know if there's the budget for this, which stinks. It stinks that it potentially you're being asked to do more and more with less and less, uh, fewer resources and, and compensation that is possibly being outweighed by a shifting job. But I do think it helps to go like, this is my new job title. Even if it's not a promotion, it'll feel like a promotion and it'll look like a promotion. And it lets you claim all the things you do well as like, not just like quote unquote soft skills, but as like job responsibilities. Totally. And I think that that, you know, she doesn't say that she dislikes her job. Totally. She she just says that, like, she's scared that layoffs are coming. Yeah. So this is a way to solidify your purpose at your own company, mm-hmm. right? By underlining, I am doing a role that we have decided is essential. Like, it's not some title that, like, no one has really created jobs or hired for that job since, like, 2011. Totally. Right? So you're essentially, like, updating. Yes. Your iPhone model to be like what you do now. It's like still the same freaking phone. Right. It's just perceived as right. more or up to date. It's it's like <laughs> saying like it, it would be like going from being like I'm an apothecary to going like oh I'm a pharmacist. <laughs> that's, yes, that's like a job right. people have and hire for now. <laughs> yes, so she gets the free update from apothecary to pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Which also has the benefit of being a title that is legible across the industry. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that when and if the layoff happens, it's easier for her to apply for jobs at other organizations. I'll also say a title that's legible outside the industry can be helpful, right? Yes. Because it is, yes. I'm not like a 100% believer in that just like business as a skill is infinitely transferable. I might have said this to you before, but like when someone's like, I'm an entrepreneur as what they do, it's like, so you just like... <laughs> bossing people around and like it doesn't matter what you make or create like that's it's so untrustworthy to me when someone's just like yeah I just own companies and it's like oh must be nice to have rich parents um right (laughs) but so I I don't necessarily agree that like oh all you need is someone who has like MBA skills and they can thrive in any different industry because I do think there's specialization is worthwhile but making sure that the skills that you're good at of like dealing with people because soft skills are really important and like maybe they're valued even more outside of this industry honestly like there might be a place where like what you do is a really useful thing that someone prizes and having that again codified and and have having a legible title that that doesn't just mean something in like the startup world could help you if you're like oh you know there's layoffs here all the time maybe i want to work the same kind of function in a different industry even if the title can't get to that nuance, mm-hmm. this is the sort of thing where I think of like the resumes that I've seen where people are like, you know, the the primary skills that they're working on. Like, I don't know if she's referencing that she's a very good manager or maybe she's an incredible collaborator. Mm-hmm. Making sure that you're having those conversations with your manager about those skills. Oh, right? that's like, smart. Yeah. Okay. Like, and then so when it's time for recommendations, like that comes to the fore. Yeah in terms of like the things that you are skilled at. Yeah, I think that Ella is in a good place to find some stability and security. And it's a low stakes move to try to figure out, you know, okay, I'm going to have this slightly different title. Yeah. And then feel more secure in the place that she is. Yeah, totally. Totally. 
So our final question is about feeling stuck in a capitalist society. Sure. It's life. Uh, This is from Padma. For the first 15 years of my career, I busted my ass. I never said no to opportunities to take on more and to move up. But for the last few years, I can't get excited about work. I just don't want to work. Maybe it's the pandemic that put things in perspective. Maybe it's because I have three young kids. But to be clear, I kept climbing really aggressively even after my first and my second kids were born. I've thought maybe it's because I am middle-aged now. I'm in my early 40s. But I just can't muster a lot of enthusiasm for my last couple roles. And while I'm happy that my work does not define me anymore, this also really freaks me out. All right. So I love this question. Yeah. I think, you know, she says that she had babies before and now she has more babies. And I've been doing some reporting recently on a period that women experience around this time in their lives that like someone referred to me as the portal, like the portal that women go through. And I've been thinking a lot about it. And I don't think it's exclusive to women. I do think that like, obviously, people of all genders go through transitional periods in their lives. But a lot of it, like some of it intersects with like premenopausal stuff and that sort of thing. But one of the people I talked to is a psychologist named Sacha Bjork. She wrote a book called Quarter Life. And she uses these concepts of like, oftentimes people come to these quarter life crises when they're, you know, between the ages of 25, 35, where they have either been people who have been incredibly goal and like perfection oriented. And then they smack up against like, oh, I want to find meaning, Mm -hmm. right? Or the inverse is that people have been incredibly meaning oriented, like they're always trying to find out like, what is meaningful in life, like asking those questions and have resisted the more traditional paths. And Satya told me that like, this often happens for women as well when they enter the portal. Oh, interesting. Because it's the first time that they kind of slow down. And then the thing about the pandemic is it like widened the door to the portal. It really brought things into focus. It's like, come on in. Let's like think about our purpose in life. Yeah, just a big door with glowing edges. (laughs) (laughs) So, so many people are in the portal. And I and rallied around thinking about these questions. And also, I think it can be very destabilizing for someone like Padma. Like, I always thought that I knew what motivated me. Yep. Like, here was my driving yep. force my entire life. Where did it go? Yeah. Like, it's like running out of gas. And so how do you restart the car? Do you want to restart the car? Do you want to start walking? Like, where do you go from here? It's very intense. So the Poets Blink-182 once sang... <laughs> Work sucks, I know. And they were right about aliens, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this. Um, I've had this feeling of, like, even when you're doing work that you really, really feel passionately about and engaged with, I've I've definitely had the feeling of, like, I got to do this for how many more decades? Right. <laughs> right. Like, sometimes I, like, do the math in my head, just, like, that mental math of, like... I probably need to work till I'm 75. Like, I thought I was old. That's still, like, 35 more years. Yeah. That's, like, another whole life. I mean, I've been talking about this on stage, so not to, like, do bits at you, but I was like, you know, I've crunched the numbers, and my wife and I can afford to retire at the end of this year as long as we agree to be dead by the beginning of next year. And, like, that's not, like, a plan that I have, but it's definitely a thought that occurred to me. (laughs) 
Well, and like the the joke I have with like every other millennial is like we don't even think about retirement yeah. because our understanding of retirement is like just work until you're dead. Yes. I feel like <laughs> like um like die at my desk is probably my destiny. You know, my dad worked in construction for 40 years and by the time he retired his body like would not do that work anymore but because of his yep. the the kind of union protections and pension and um and you know he and my my mom were able to like save prudently like they're retired and they have like a pretty and my my mom uh retired as well now and they have like a pretty cozy life and that feels so remote to people of our generation where i think like by the time they i this is like tried to death but like by the time they were my age they had two kids and owned a home that they still live in and uh i have an elderly dog and live in an apartment that's owned by just like some guy that I text three times a year. <laughs> but your dog is just keeps she is going. real. I know I mean, she's so resilient. Like, she thought she yeah. would be retired by now. Yeah, I you know I think that like it's very normal for all people to reach a point where they're like, wait, what is this all for? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people like get to that point when they're 16 yep. and sometimes they get to that point when they're 80 but questioning like wait I do all this work and someone else makes most of the money yeah. like this this is kind of bullshit and I can't and also, just like not <laughs> like yeah <laughs> I like have to keep doing it right like we're an incredibly technologically advanced society we're so smart we've done so much and yet we are all still running ourselves into the ground yeah. like this is wild yeah. right like this doesn't make sense where the fuck is the service that chops my head off and puts it on top of a robot spider <laughs> <laughs> the cognitive dissonance is there and also i think like comparing with other societies that have figured out different ways of doing it and that's comparing with other societies that have similar amounts of gdp as the united states and other societies that have far less like we there's something's going Mm -hmm. wrong right so underlining asking these questions isn't just normal it's also incredibly healthy i think like it is the it is a sign of someone who is questioning the world around them and trying to make sense of it And, and you're asking a lot of questions about like why did this happen and i think that's an easier answer right is because like it sucks ass to have to go to work or else you can't live in a house anymore. Um, That's like a really stressful situation. And to have worked hard at it and to not have like, there's no like work nirvana that you hit when you have worked really hard for a long time where you just like gain this glowing understanding of a new level of productivity. It's just like, oh, and then more. And so I think those questions have easier answers than the kind of unspoken question, which is like, what is meaningful to you? Yeah. And you you hit on that already. So I'm I'm kind of just paraphrasing. But I think like the letter is so focused on like the part about like why doesn't this mean anything to me anymore? And it's like for whatever reason, like it's so reasonable that this doesn't that work doesn't mean as much to you and you don't want to do it as much. But now you you have the intellectual, philosophical burden slash freedom of being like what how do i define myself what does mean something to me and i think that's scarier to stare down than like why don't i like work anymore or why don't i why am i not motivated to work but it is ultimately like a more rewarding question to ask yourself because you can get to the other side of it and and have like an affirmative thing that you're like this is what i want and love and value 
you know, when I was doing a lot of the reporting for my book on millennial burnout, I talked to a lot of people who, for whatever reason, from a lot of different class backgrounds, racial backgrounds, like there's different places where this intersects and you're like, work has to be the thing that I define myself by. And that starts early when you're trying to get into college and trying to like define yourself in junior high and high school and then continues on. And because you're so focused on that, oftentimes the development of other parts of your personality Mm. fall away. So it can be incredibly discombobulating to wake up and be like, if I don't care about work anymore, if, as our question asker points out, like, it doesn't define me anymore. (laughs) What am I? Who am I? Yes. What do I love? Right. And like, yes, I want to be a mother too, but what else? Yeah. What else? Of course. Right. And like, it would feel hollow for me to be like, it's something to have. And it's like, yeah, she knows (laughs) she has kids. It's in the letter. Right. Like, she's not like, oh shit, kids. Whoops. Is that who's in the car still? Um, (laughs) Right. Right. No, it's like, I think that that's an important part of her personality, but also it's still not enough. Like a lot of people. Right. And it, it doesn't have to be enough. And it can be a, that as one facet and like a job that you just like care less. Like you brought this up before, but like that you care less about climbing a ladder and more about like, oh, I like to do the thing I do every day. Less thinking about the ad- career advancement and more like, oh, what what is it like? What do I feel productive and satisfied having done for a work day and, and and is there a way to do more of that? And then it's like, yeah, and what else can my life contain if I make space for it with this energy that is no longer like success based and in in a capitalist way? I feel like I'm starting to have friends now in their like mid thirties to early forties who are like, yeah, I like play guitar again. Like I haven't played guitar since I was. 17 and now I play guitar again because like I want to do something that I can invest in and improve at and feel satisfied with that isn't just like creating wealth for people who I either have never seen or do see and hate (laughs) (laughs) no and I like sometimes it takes a while to figure out what that is and sometimes you're still like weirded out by your attitude towards your job. One thing I've seen work really well is figuring out how to like do your job very effectively mm-hmm. and be more productive with the time that you're there so that you can stop doing mm-hmm. it. Like I, we don't know what this person's career is, but one thing I've done as I've gotten older is figured out how to spend less time doing my job, like do the same amount of work, but spend less time yeah. doing it because I'm more focused yep. because I have other things I want to do, yeah. right? Like I have other parts of my life other than work. It totally. can be an incredible motivator. Yeah, for so sure. figuring out what that is so that you can spend less time doing the thing that like you don't want to do anymore. And then just having these other parts of your life that you do the work for. Mm-hmm. You do the work so that you can eat and have all these other things in your life yeah. that you enjoy. And, and I think it feels really stressful to be like, Oh, no, who am I? But the, like, inverse of that is, like, you're whoever you want to be, and it's not decided by how good you are at work, right? It's defined by, like, what you you spend your mental energy thinking about and what you invest your time in doing and, like, what you do with your family and what you do apart from your family. And, like, all that stuff, there is the scaffolding for that already like it wasn't i i assume you know you weren't like living on the international space station for the last eight years and 
it is like an, an an affirmative decision you get to make. It's not like you've run through this wall professionally and left an outline of a person in the wall like the Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> and that's who yes. you are, right? Like you can fill in who you are. Kool-Aid guy. Great reference to the first time that you were on the I show. I know. And it right? honestly <laughs> isn't even the Kool-Aid guy that's the right reference here. It's like Wiley Coyote. <laughs> is the right one there. Amazing. This is a great place for us to wrap up. Josh, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on oh the internet? Oh my gosh. I am on tour all over the place. I have a newsletter that I write every week called That's Marvelous. It, it's free. It comes out Mondays. It's joshgondelman.substack.com. Subscribe to my newsletter. Come see me on the road. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. This has been such a pleasure. Before we roll the credits, I gotta let you know that the best of the best is officially on sale. The Crooked Store's Labor Day weekend sale just started, so now is the perfect time to snag that merch you've been eyeing. Everything in the store is 15% off now through September 5th. Personally, I'm going to take this opportunity to buy like 50 fuck that guy shirts to hand out to people because let's be real, that was probably said a lot during the Republican debates. Shop the sale at crooked.com store. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you need advice about a sticky situation at work, we're here for you. Submit your questions at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. We love building episodes around your questions and you can stay as anonymous as you'd like. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, or you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Alison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. 